You're listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract, the official podcast of the Journal of Addiction Medicine. If this is your first time listening, thanks for coming. Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract is produced for your enjoyment and is focused on the latest journal-published research and science in the field of addiction medicine. Remember to add us to your favorites in iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter at ASAMorg and Facebook. Now, let's go beyond the abstract. Welcome to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. I'm your host, Dr. Sean McNeil, and today we're joined by Dr. Babek Tafigi from the NYU School of Medicine. So, Dr. Tafigi, please start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself. So, thanks so much for having me. Uh, so, my name is Babek Tafigi, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Population Health here at NYU School of Medicine, and also our assistant director for our Addiction Medicine Fellowship Program um, at NYU and practice primary care at Bellevue Hospital. And I previously completed a clinical fellowship in addiction medicine and also a two-year T32 primary care research fellowship that was complemented at the same time uh, where I was a research and addiction medicine scholar, a RAM scholar in, uh, in a program led by uh, Dr. Jeffrey Samet, Pat O'Connor, and, uh, and, and, and that was a tremendous experience in sort of understanding how we can uh, explore clinical research addressing substance use disorders in primary care. And I've been awarded at CAPE 23 to look at how we can integrate mobile health technologies in primary care. And specifically, I'm looking at how we can enhance linkage and retention uh, in office space opioid treatment with buprenorphine and Vivitrol, but also looking how we can enhance the medical management model and empower patients to also link with their specialty care needs, including HIV, Hep C, and mental health. Um, and lastly, I'm also a research scientist at the New York State Department of Health Nathan Klein Institute, where I'm working with Dr. Crystal Fuller-Lewis in integrating technologies uh, specifically tablet devices and mobile health tools in rural areas in New York State to also enhance linkage uh, to, to primary care-based treatment for opioid use disorders. That's fantastic. And that background in mobile health technology in, in, in that sphere leads us to your recent study from the journal regarding access to these technologies and the use pattern among patients. So I was hoping that you could tell me a bit about the concept for your study and what you hope that it would teach us. So um, my my research and my clinical experience is is completely grounded in Bellevue Hospital, which serves a mostly Medicaid-based and uninsured population. And and as a as a primary care physician, I was frustrated at, at at the lack of communication that we had with our patients. And this was really climactic during Hurricane Sandy when the hurricane struck and a lot of patients were unable to maintain contact with us and, and get their refills for buprenorphine and adhere to their follow-up appointments. And so at that time, I, I started thinking about, well, how can technology offset a lot of the administrative burden that primary care providers face, not only you know, during a time of disaster, such as Hurricane Sandy, but during sort of many disasters that patients go through. Um, patients go through a tremendous array of experiences in our clinic, and 
we really needed to enhance communication with, with our primary care staff. So, uh, so we started doing a needs assessment. And, and in our needs assessment, what we began to find were interesting points about feasibility. Specifically, almost all of our patients wanted to maintain telephone text message contact with the clinic uh, for their basic clinical needs. But there were some important caveats. There's a high number of mobile phone uh, and phone number turnover in, in, in the preceding 12 months that we, we surveyed our patients. So they went through about three phones and about two phone numbers uh, per year, which tremendously impacts feasibility of any uh, potential mHealth intervention. And, and but for the most part, um, our patients were really interested in leveraging mHealth to enhance various aspects of their care, not only buprenorphine treatment, but linking with 12-step groups, linking with HIV, Hep C, or being able to receive social services, uh, receiving insurance access. And, and the more vulnerable our patient populations were, in other words, um, patients who were recently incarcerated or who were uninsured, um, these patients really were, were asking for more interventions compared to the general sample that we surveyed. Um, and that was, that was a really important finding. Okay. Now, some of these technologies are communications devices, and that can be a double-edged sword. I think you made mention of the fact that some people are using these devices to talk with maybe dealers and actually acquire substances. So I was wondering, what do you feel are some of the biggest downsides or challenges that result from individuals using these technologies? Uh, we, we did another study before case report of a patient using Craigslist. Now, Craigslist isn't a mobile phone-based tool, but what we're seeing is that um, on social media, which is uh, not only Craigslist, but also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, patients are able to find drug dealers and obtain pretty much any illicit substance, including fentanyl. And, and we've been doing content analysis of Twitter, and we're finding um, a growing number of patients this year versus last year who are soliciting for fentanyl. Now, when, when these apps are then downloaded on the mobile phone, uh, it, it makes it even easier. What drug dealers do is they'll, they'll use various phone numbers um, and, and dispose of that phone within 24 or 48 hours, but they'll, they'll be able to text patients when and where they're going to meet. And, and the logistics of how drugs are being sold um, and, and how drug dealers are harnessing emerging technologies far outpaces what we have now in, in the clinical realm in being able to find patients who need treatment and being able to seamlessly link them into care. And this was really upsetting for me. And, and, and despite sort of the plethora of attention and funding in technology-based interventions, um, this, you know, the, the ability for the illicit market to, to harness these platforms um, I believe more effectively than, than us uh, sort of requires us to do these needs assessments and understand use patterns and how patients 
prefer to use te- these technologies and, and how we could sort of tap into that potential um, and understand these use patterns and develop interventions that complement uh, patient preferences. Well, I think your article does a great job describing the scope of the technology use among these patients. Now, for the average clinician, how do you think we should be addressing technology use among our patients with substance use disorders? A lot of emerging electronic medical records now, uh, including Epic, which we have at Bellevue, have um, the capacity to communicate with patients using, for instance, with Epic, the MyChart feature. Um, There are some EMRs that are able to tap into third-party text message vendors, such as Twilio. And I believe clinicians at a very low cost can establish appointment reminders. And embed the appointment reminders with important uh, harm reduction messages or content about mental health resources or other free testing services that are in their proximity. There's a lot of information that we repeat in each clinical visit. And a lot of that information can be offset to the simplicity of text or interactive voice recordings. Um, there, there, there's plenty of resources, for instance, in New York City that we've been able to, to basically just copy-paste and put in these text messages so patients know where they can get free STI testing, where they can get free mental health resources. So there's a lot of redundancy that's built into a typical clinical encounter that we can offset and put into text messages or basic telephone calls. And a lot of states are becoming more aware of this and are incentivizing clinicians uh, with telemedicine. And although psychiatrists have been far ahead than primary care uh, in internal medicine, but there's a lot of opportunity to integrate telemedicine to, to really boost between clinic visits and maintain that contact with patients to address unanticipated issues. All right. Well, this has been a great discussion. Now, are there any take-home points that you want to mention uh, to the listeners out there? So I'd say um, no matter how vulnerable our patient populations are, um, really we, we weren't able to identify a subgroup, including older age groups, that, that were not interested in integrating technology-based interventions as, as, as a part of their care. Another important point that we found was, was the issue of privacy. Uh, patients obviously were, were averse to content that was overtly indicating that they had an opioid use disorder. However, patients were very amenable to using terms that were coded. So, for instance, we don't mention in our appointment reminders that pa- patients should come to their office-based opioid treatment clinic visit. We mentioned that, you know, you, you have a primary care visit coming up at Bellevue. Um, how's your treatment going? The patients are, are very keen to, to using the technologies, um, but as long as we don't use words such as dope, heroin, um, and if we use the terms opioid to really try to code it as much as possible. Um, so a lot of the findings that were published in this paper and, and, and in a similar study that we did in our primary care-based buprenorphine treatment program um, were, were critical in informing the design of our um, health intervention that, that we're studying right now.
Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Dr. Tafigi. Um, this is an area that's evolving on a, a very consistent basis. I think it's something that clinicians really need to be informed about. So I want to thank you for coming on and describing the scope of, of uh, technology use in the clinical setting and, and how this has uh, affected access for our patients. Thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it, Sean. This ends today's podcast. Thank you for listening to Addiction Medicine Beyond the Abstract. All of today's show links can be found in the show notes. Remember, you can preview additional abstracts at journalofaddictionmedicine.com. This program was produced by the American Society of Addiction Medicine.